Hello there, uh, my name is Katie Hands. I am a consultant haematologist with the Scottish National Blood Transfusion Service uh, based at Nine Miles Hospital in Dundee. I'm a member of the British Society for Haematology Transfusion Task Force and I'm here today to speak on behalf of the writing group uh, who prepared this good practice paper um, last year and that paper is the preoperative patient blood management during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. During this talk, I will aim to cover the following. So first of all, I will discuss how we approached uh, the writing of this good practice paper. I'll speak a bit about the drivers behind the paper and why the group felt it was important to provide this pandemic specific guidance uh, for those involved in the care of preoperative patients. I'll spend some time discussing the evidence which we examined uh, and then introduce the recommendations which we've made within the paper. So this paper was constructed in line with BSH guidelines process. So firstly, a guideline writing group was assembled. And I should say initially we'd assembled a small group with the aim of kickstarting a review of the previous BSH guidance on the topic of preoperative anemia, which was published back in 2015. But during one of our first um, meetings back in summer 2020, we discussed the impact of COVID on preoperative assessments and this paper was conceived. We then moved forward in line with the BSH process. Um, a literature search was performed, updating the evidence from the time of the previous publication up until September 2020, as well as looking for new evidence around the use of remote preoperative assessments. The search results were then reviewed and the paper drafted, and this included the, the group reaching consensus recommendations, which were then graded using the grade criteria. This draft was then reviewed by the Transfusion Task Force and the Sounding Board of the BSH before submitting for publication in the British Journal of Haematology. So firstly, a few words about patient blood management, in particular surgical patient blood management, which has really become the standard of care for surgical patients over the last 10 years or so. Many hospitals now have very well-developed patient blood management programmes thanks to the efforts of some of my co-authors um, as well as others in moving this forward. And patient blood management refers to the evidence-based multidisciplinary care of patients who might need a blood transfusion and ultimately aims to put the patient at the centre of their treatment, ensuring they receive the very best treatment and that avoidable and inappropriate use of blood and blood components is reduced. Reference is often made to the three pillars of patient blood management, which are shown on the left-hand side of this slide. Um, the first is optimization of anemia, optimization of red cell mass. So for example, uh, preoperative anemia identification and management. The second is minimizing blood loss. So looking at things like the use of cell salvage where appropriate, considering the use of tranexamic acid to help reduce blood loss. And finally, the third pillar aims to optimize the tolerance of anemia, and that includes the use of restrictive transfusion thresholds. And this in turn has benefits which um, have been identified. So we see reduced allogeneic blood transfusion, reduced length of hospital stay and reduced um, intensive care admissions. So really, this is what we should be aiming for for all of our surgical patients. 
And this has perhaps been even more important during the pandemic where we've seen significant challenges to the blood supply at times. And it's therefore really important that we ensure best patient blood management practices continue um, despite any additional challenges we're seeing so that blood is available for the patients who really need it. So on one hand, we've identified the importance of maintaining good patient blood management practices during pandemic times, both for the benefits at an individual patient level and at a wider blood supply level. But there have been some added challenges. Um, Preoperative pathways have really been significantly changed during the pandemic, with the majority of patient contacts taking place remotely, um, aiming to reduce face-to-face -face contact and um, subsequent SARS-CoV-2 infection risk. And this obviously means that the approach to preoperative assessment and the preoperative aspects of patient blood management have also had to change. And this is one of the key reasons for developing this guidance. And it's worth notice, noting that the specific surgical risks posed by SARS-CoV-2 infection are significant. So it was identified and reported early on in the pandemic that surgical patients with SARS-CoV-2 infection at the time of their surgery had poorer outcomes. An international group reported the outcomes of just over a thousand patients who underwent surgery, both elective and emergency surgery, during the first three months of 2020. And SARS-CoV-2 infection was detected in almost 300 of these patients. And in those patients, the 30-day mortality was 23.8%. Now, further analysis from the same group went on to demonstrate that this increased morbidity and mortality associated with SARS-CoV-2 infection and surgery actually persisted at six weeks post-infection. And this led to the publication of guidance that all patients undergoing um, elective surgery should isolate for 14 days preoperatively to reduce the chance of uh, them contracting the infection, but also that if a patient was identified as having had a SARS-CoV-2 infection, then surgery should be delayed for at least seven weeks after the infection had um, been diagnosed to ensure that these risks were minimised. So when we were developing our guidance, we needed to be really mindful of these risks and make sure that we weren't making any recommendations that would increase a patient's risk of contracting SARS-CoV-2 preoperatively. And also be mindful of the potential logistical issues, particularly those associated with preoperative isolation periods. And finally, um, I'm sure we're all well aware of um, a reminder of this other big issue at play here, which is this huge surgical backlog. Um, this analysis from the British Medical Association demonstrates that around 6.1 patients 6.1 million patients are now awaiting consultant-led elective care within the NHS. And the NHS um, in the UK has now published recovery plans of how they intend to increase capacity to ensure that these patients get timely treatment. So there's a huge clinical need for patients uh, for surgery for these patients. And these patients will need to continue to undergo robust preoperative assessment within the, the limit, limitations that living with SARS-CoV-2 brings. So we start off our guidance with some general, general principles relating to the management of these preoperative patients. 
So namely that while planning their care, we want to ensure that the chance of SARS-CoV-2 exposure is minimized as far as is possible. So minimizing the number of face-to-face -face contacts where possible by performing remote telephone assessments, for example, by combining interventions where possible, so a patient's only attending hospital once, and making sure that any in-person consultations which do take place do so in COVID-secure settings with um, staff wearing appropriate PPE and so on. We really want to make sure that any interventions undertaken are really only done where there's clear or proven benefit to the patient. But all the while, we want to ensure that these patients continue to benefit from um, best patient blood management. So we need to maximise the opportunities for patient blood management, um, considering as well that one of the benefits of that may be a reduced length of hospital stay, which therefore may reduce the chance of nosocomial COVID infection. So if we start by considering the first pillar of patient blood management, we began by looking at the diagnosis of anemia. And here we consulted the NICE guidance on preoperative blood tests, which was published in 2016. And it nicely identifies when it is and when it's not appropriate to send particular blood tests preoperatively. We also identified that primary care teams may have a role to play in the management of these preoperative patients, particularly if there were long waits for surgery anticipated. So perhaps some of the diagnostic tests could be undertaken by primary care teams, allowing abnormalities to be addressed in plenty of time for surgery. We also discussed the use of cascade testing, uh, which is where a number of samples might be taken at one time. However, um, testing only proceeds dependent on um, the results of some initial screening tests. So an example of this might be um, planning to test a full blood count, but if a hypochromic microcytic anemia is identified, then that would trigger a ferritin test. And this approach means the patient only needs to attend for a single set of blood tests, but that sufficient samples are taken to allow the full diagnostic pathway to proceed um, with the results then being available to allow um, appropriate treatment or appropriate onward uh, referrals. We also acknowledge the specific challenges relating to blood transfusion samples um, due to their relatively short sample validity, combined with the fact that many patients were then going to be isolating for 14 days preoperatively. And this meant that group and screen samples might need to be taken at the time of admission rather than several days beforehand, as may have been standard practice. And this brings me on to the recommendations which we made in this section of the paper. So anemia screening should only be performed where required. Uh, blood tests should be taken as early as possible in the pathway and all blood tests should be taken at one time to reduce potential exposure events. Follow-up tests should only be undertaken when they will alter management. And if patients are found to have unexplained iron deficiency, they should be referred on for further investigation. And finally, we recommend that transfusion blood samples are taken at the time of admission when they require to be taken um, to ensure that the patient can complete their preoperative isolation safely. So moving on now to the treatment of anemia, there were two key articles here. Firstly, an update to the Cochrane review of iron therapy to treat preoperative anemia. 
where the objective was to assess whether iron therapy reduced the need for allogeneic transfusion in anemic patients undergoing surgery. This review identified six randomized controlled trials with a total of 372 patients and found no difference in transfusion rates between patients who received iron or those who received no treatment or placebo. And some of the trials um, included here also measured quality of life and morbidity and mortality data, but in insufficient numbers for the authors to draw conclusions. Where oral and intravenous iron therapy were compared, there was a greater increase in hemoglobin demonstrated in the intravenous iron group. However, the numbers of patients involved, uh, included in these studies was small and therefore not sufficient to provide reliable evidence. So overall, the conclusion was that further randomised controlled trials were required to determine the true effectiveness of iron therapy for preoperative anemia. And that brings me on to the PREVENT study, uh, which was published in 2020. So this was the preoperative intravenous iron to treat anemia before major abdominal surgery trial. And this was a randomized double-blind controlled trial where patients who were identified to be anemic preoperatively, so for men uh, that was a hemoglobin of less than 130, and for women a hemoglobin of less than 120, at 10 to 42 days preoperatively, these were randomized to receive a one-off dose of 1,000 milligrams of intravenous iron or placebo. And the primary endpoints in this trial were a composite risk of risk of blood transfusion or death and the number of blood transfusions from randomization to 30 days postoperatively. In total, 487 patients were randomized, 243 received the placebo and 244 received intravenous iron. And this was administered at a median of 15 days preoperatively. 28% reached the endpoint of um, death or transfusion in the placebo arm and 29% in the intravenous iron arm. There were 111 transfusions in the placebo arm and 105 in the intravenous iron arm. So there were no significant differences between the two arms for either of the primary endpoints. And therefore, this trial has demonstrated that generic treatment with intravenous iron for all anemic preoperative patients is not indicated. We also identified limited evidence looking at novel approaches to anemia treatment, um, and this included perioperative iron therapy, um, which might be an attractive option in the pandemic setting since the patient's in hospital anyway, so you would be um, you know, administering that treatment during um, their hospital stay rather than them having to attend for a separate visit. Um, a further study from Span and colleagues randomised just over a thousand patients who were due to undergo elective cardiac surgery to receive um, a cocktail of intravenous iron, erythropoietin, vitamin B12 and folate or equivalent placebos um, the day before surgery and then examined a primary outcome of the number of red cell transfusions in the first seven days. And this found a significant reduction in the number of transfusions in the first seven days, but there was no reduction in length of stay or in rates of postoperative complications. So some other ideas of, um, of new ways to approach um, 
preoperative anemia being reported here. So if we come on to our recommendations here, um, many questions remain about how best to treat patients who are found to be anemic preoperatively. So we suggest that even during pandemic times, all efforts should be made to ensure that patients are treated um, within clinical trials where possible. Prevent has demonstrated that one treatment does not fit all. Um, and in line with this, we recommend an individualized treatment plan for um, patients who are identified to be anemic. And importantly, generic intravenous iron should not be offered to all, uh, again, in line with the findings from Prevent. We do, however, recommend that patients confirmed to have iron deficiency should be offered iron replacement. And in the setting of the pandemic, we suggest that this um, should be oral iron first line um, because this would reduce the need for hospital attendance. And finally, we recommend that the assessment of treatment response should be performed on admission for surgery. Um, and these results can then be used to inform the peri and post-operative management of any ongoing anemia rather than bringing the patient to hospital um, for a separate visit. So if we move on now then to the second pillar of patient blood management, we're thinking about minimizing blood loss. And when we think about how best to do this preoperatively, in fact, much of this can be very effectively performed during a remote patient assessment. So the patient history can be tailored to assess for any unusual bleeding. And if there are concerns following initial questioning, a structured bleeding assessment tool can be used to further characterize this. Any history of liver or renal disease which may contribute to bleeding tendency should also be identified. The history should also aim to look for any modifiable risk factors, for example, antiplatelet or anticoagulant drugs, um, to allow a plan to be put in place for the discontinuation of these drugs um, perioperatively. And at this stage, um, it's also to, important to consider and document other patient blood management interventions and um, their planned use. So things like the antifibrinolytic drug tranexamic acid, which has a well-established role in reducing blood loss and blood transfusions in orthopedic and cardiac surgery. And NICE guidance um, suggests its use where blood loss is anticipated to be more than 500 mils. And for completeness, other interventions should also be considered and documented, including the use of cell salvage and what transfusion triggers should be used for that particular patient. And here are the recommendations which we made um, in this section. So we recommend a remote preoperative assessment should include an assessment of bleeding history and um, a careful drug history to ensure that any anticoagulant or antiplatelet agents are identified, as well as the indication for the drug. And in line with existing BSH guidance on the topic, we suggest that coagulation screens should only be performed if there's um, a history suggestive of a bleeding disorder or um, a comorbidity which is associated with an increased bleeding risk, for example, um, liver disease. For all patients, we suggest that a patient blood management plan is um, documented, which should include um, the items which you see listed there. Um, 
particularly focusing on any medications which are due to be discontinued and um, when they should be restarted. Also, whether bridging therapy is indicated. Um, we suggest that it should be documented if tranexamic acid is not to be administered, um, acknowledging that its benefits will be seen in the majority if, uh, of surgical patients. Um, and also, as I said, the transfusion triggers um, to be documented. So really with that focus on restrictive transfusion triggers, um, for, again, for the majority of patients. And it's obviously really important that everybody involved in the care of the patient is aware of what the plan is. Um, and probably most important of all, that the patient is aware of what the plan is. So any plans for discontinuation and restarting of medications must be communicated to the patient and to primary care um, so that everyone is well informed. So that brings me to the end of my talk today. Um, I hope that that has given you a good understanding of how this good practice paper was formulated, as well as um, letting you know how we believe surgical pathways have been changed during the pandemic and how best to ensure that your patients who are accessing these new preoperative pathways continue to benefit from best patient blood management. So I would just like to extend my thanks to the members of the writing group and also to you for listening. Thank you very much.